0: This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you, who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com.
1: Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing, and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy?
0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. On episode 158, I'm going to bring you a conversation that I recorded recently with Rebecca Rinquist, fiber artist and author of the forthcoming book, Rebecca Rinquist's Embroidery Workshops, A Bend the Rules Primer. This book will actually be hitting your local bookstore next month, but you can pre-order it now. We're going to take you behind the scenes just a little bit and tell you the story of what led up to this book that's coming out and the drop cloth samplers that some of you are probably very familiar with. Rebecca will be sharing the story of how she started creating those really cool embroidery samplers that have been circulating and selling like hotcakes uh, since about 2010 we're also going to be talking about her fine art career and how she you know works between both worlds of producing these samplers for crafters and home embroidery artists and then also creates fine art using some of those same embroidery techniques and I think you'll really enjoy the story of how she got into embroidery in the first place because it wasn't really like this super intentional thing and before I get to the interview I want to take a moment to thank my Patreon sponsors and also Ted and his crew over at ACS Home and Work for their continued support I really do appreciate that all right so let's get to the interview grab a project settle in and let's get to it. Now, your book is coming out on April 14th. It's available for pre-order now, this um, epic embroidery book. And tell us, what is the title of your book?
1: The title is called Rebecca Wienquist Embroidery Workshops of Ben the Primer. And um, like it says on the cover, it also includes a printed sampler in the back that's already printed on fabric, ready to stick in a hoop and start stitching right away.
0: I got an advanced copy of this book to read, and it's, so it's on my iPad, and Uh, It looks lovely on the iPad, but I'm a printed book kind of woman. And when I actually realized that, I realized that last night that there was a special pocket in the back. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, that is going, people are going to love that. Because what is, and it's, it's printed on the fabric already.
1: Yeah, I was wow. really lucky to have an amazing team of people working on the book. That and fantastic. So there's a little envelope in the back that you open up like a little gift, and there's a piece of fabric in there with a sampler printed on it. Oh, and wow. then there are directions for all the stitches that are on the sampler um, in the first chapter of the book.
0: Wow. Well, you thought of everything. Cause I, you've been doing samplers for a long, long time. One of the things that really puts you on the map is your your epic samplers that people are, are buying. And I finally I finally ordered one. Like, I've been watching these things forever and thinking, yeah, when I bell. get time. When, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, when yeah. I get time, I'm like, I'm going to order one. And then I'm like, this is ridiculous. I just need to order the thing. Yeah. yeah so w- we'll, uh, what we'll do is we'll kind of back up and talk about, I know you have some Michigan roots. Where are you from originally?
1: I'm from West Michigan, from a really small town called Pentwater, which most people that aren't from Western Michigan haven't heard of. Yeah, it's a very nice place. Right on Lake Michigan. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Yeah.
0: How long did you live there?
1: Well, I lived there until I graduated from high school. And then um, I went to a small college in Iowa called Cornell College. I went from one small town to another small town in the middle of Iowa. And then that had a really great experience there. And then right after college, I moved to Chicago to go to graduate school um, at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago.
0: In Iowa, what did you study at Cornell College? Well, I was a liberal arts major. You know, it's a liberal arts okay. college, but I was an art major. And then you went moved yeah. on to Chicago, and that was? School of the Art Institute of Chicago. That's an interesting name. Yeah, okay.
1: so it's the school that's just a it's the medium school. So, okay. you know, I'm sure... You and your listeners have heard yeah, of, events yeah. of the museum there. Yeah, so it's the, um, it's the school that's associated with that museum.
0: And so that must be awesome to have the access to the Art Institute of Chicago while you're studying.
1: So yeah, you, right across the street. Right, yeah. exactly. So whether, so like,
0: when you, go, when you go to school there, do you get, like, access to their archives? The
1: school and the museum don't always have the best relationship, the relationship that you might hope for, oh, I guess. yeah. Well, <laughs> so things get political. the textile department, right. You know, and textiles especially are so fragile oh yeah you do walking
0: them across the street and dropping them in a puddle
1: <laughs> right exactly so you know I had we had a, a few special sort of behind the scenes tours there but it wasn't the sort of everyday access that you would have hoped for but um but definitely it's great to have you know I, I, everyone that's in school there has a free pass to the museum and I spent a lot of time there for sure
0: oh that sounds like a dream to have a free pass to mm-hmm. a museum I would like that yeah. a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I miss having that <laughs> when yeah. I go back.
0: I think, oh, I'm
1: sad I can't just walk in there anymore.
0: Well, I think it's really interesting in <laughs> reading your – reading. I read in your book, and I think I actually might have um, known this from talking to you previously, but I thought it was really interesting that you actually did not learn embroidery in a fiber art class. It was another class that kind of exposed you to the right. art of embroidery. I mean-
1: I went on, you know, embroidery was sort of my entry point into starting to take a lot of fiber art classes, but I was actually taking a feminist art history class and reading a lot about the history of samplers and sampler makers, and I was really interested in the history of embroidery, not thinking that I would really like the practice of embroidery because it seemed sort of slow-going and boring to me. I started using embroidery can make some work to, sort of in response to the history of embroidery and then along the way really fell in love with the process of stitching and yeah so i've been at it ever since
0: so was that undergrad or graduate school that you were doing undergrad okay yeah okay mm-hmm. so how old were you about when you started embroidery?
1: I was probably 19.
0: Did anyone in your family do any embroidery? Was there anyone whose supplies you could raid when you went home on break? No.
1: (laughs) No, I don't think, I mean, I remember my mom embroidering, you know, cross-stitching little things. Like she cross-stitched my initials on my cuff, of the cuff of my sleeve when I was younger. So, I mean, my mom was a really incredible weaver when I was younger. Um, And my dad was a furniture maker. And so I'm definitely from a family of makers. But no one specifically that was, you know, really interested in embroidery. But I definitely grew up around a lot of yarn.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. well, weaving, yeah, you need tons of material to weave. I, I know. I'm, looking yeah. at, I'm actually looking at a loom right now. I have my, one of my smaller looms is in my dining room. So as you can imagine, my my house is completely overrun with art and craft supplies. But yeah uh it's it's fabulous um but anyway so so this experience of just kind of creating in response to what you were learning about how embroidery was um you know done by women in throughout history and uh did mm-hmm. you know then you know you're sitting there you're you're 19 you're learning this was it an instant thing where you started stitching and you just thought wow Like, this is not what I thought. This is way better than I thought, and I could do this for the rest of my life. (laughs) Or were you like, all right, that's cool. Maybe I'll come back Um, to this later.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. I remember thinking, um, I remember learning how to embroider just a few simple stitches, maybe the back stitch. And I remember thinking, I remember being so excited about the potential of it and the idea that I could embroider almost anything and I remember going back to my dorm room and embroidering my I mean so dorky but I remember embroidering <laughs> my name on the I did my blanket and on my bathrobe and embroidering things on my jeans and just starting to cover everything with sort of embellishment and um and that felt really good to be able to to stitch on on all, on all kinds of things well um, it's
0: interesting too that you because you, because when you told me just a couple moments ago, uh, you mentioned that you're, you remember your mom stitching your initials on the cuff of, was it a cuff of his shirt? Yeah. Uh, when yeah. You were a kid, and, mm-hmm. and it was really funny because I read in your book about how, what you just described, how you started when you got into this or learned how to embroider, yeah. you started embroidering your initials on everything. Do you think you mm-hmm. started embroidering your initials on everything because your mom did that for you when you were a kid on your, cause huh. you associated that? I don't that.
1: know. Because immediately I, I was like, hmm, I'm like, until well, now either.
0: Yeah, because that's really interesting that that would be something that you yeah. would just start doing, but um, because that was yeah. that's really cool. That's awesome. So you just got I into it. I think that's
1: really instinctual. I mean, when I teach workshops and things, I'll say, you know, draw something on a piece of fabric, and then I'll show you how to embroider over the top of it, and, and I think that that's often people's first inclination that is write their name. Especially mm-hmm. if I say, write down a word.
0: Right. People oh, yeah. People, oh, yeah. people often, name. because since childhood, that's one of the, that's one of the first things we learn to read. I mean, to, we learn to, to write is when right. we're le- learning to write. Yeah. You have a special interest in learning to write your name because people are going right. to ask you to do that for years after. For <laughs> <ever>. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so that started. And did you have um, roommates that were thinking, hmm, Rebecca is really into this. <laughs> She's stitching on mm. everything.
1: <laughs> I don't think I did at the time. I was really lucky. I managed to kind of finagle my way into having a single room or sort oh, of a semi-single for room for a lot of. It.
0: Yeah, that's a way to <laughs> save some some trouble. <laughs> There's less drama yeah. in your life. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That roommate situation can be good or really bad depending on the people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had a rough one my freshman year, and then sort of somehow lucked my way into having a single for most of the time after All right. that. So, she's,
0: yeah. so you were stitching in solitude uh, on everything you could <laughs> find and um, and obviously you had other classes so you couldn't completely go off the deep end with embroidery.
1: Well, actually, the cool, the cool thing about going to Cornell College where I did my undergraduate was that um, they had this unique program called One Course at a Time. So when you're at when you go to Cornell, you just take one class at a time. So each class lasts for three and a half weeks, and then you have a break, and then you start up another class. Oh and wow! So you have nine classes a year, one That's at really a time. That's really
0: cool. That's a Absolutely. really amazing concept. Do they still do that?
1: Oh yeah. Uh huh.
0: Wow. Yeah. I like that.
1: It's like mm-hmm. full it everything. Great. So
0: everything you do is full immersion. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. Geez, I wish I'd. Have it's known like a about lot
1: that. of schools have that kind of J term in January. With yeah. the class, one class like that, but yeah. it's like that. At Cornell um, all the time.
0: So do you go year-round then? Do you not have a summer break?
1: No, regular summer break. Okay. Yeah, you manage to take the same amount of classes as, as other students would. You just take them one at a time instead wow. of
0: overlapping. That's fascinating.
1: Not a lot of time for procrastination on that No, program. you can't,
0: yeah, you can't procrastinate on the paper that's due in three weeks or, you know, because, you know, it's... <laughs> right, cause it's yeah. due on it's, Wednesday. It's really due, <laughs> yeah, it's Monday. due tomorrow, yeah. From there, I mean, you go on to your next class. Were you still embroidering?
1: I think I was. I don't really remember, you know, what month that was in relationship to other classes because it's a long time ago now. But, you know, I've always been someone who keeps a sketchbook and always writing down ideas and drawing out things that I'm um, thinking about and And I never stopped I don't remember ever stopped thinking about embroidery. Shortly after I took that class I did a study abroad program, which was an art history program and I remember thinking about, you know, just drawing in my sketchbook and thinking about embroidery the whole time and thinking about sort of what I was gonna do when I got back and um yeah, it's never it's it's one of those things that kind of got in and had stayed in and I am always sort of thinking in terms of embroidery and um as as my main medium since then, well, for the most part. I mean, with some diversions, but I, I really love it.
0: Well, you're very good at it, and it's and you do you beautiful work. And I think it's really um, a fine example of when you get into something and you really put everything into it, amazing mm-hmm. things can happen. How did embroidery factor into what you were doing in graduate school?
1: Oh, well, I you know, I applied to graduate school with a portfolio of work um, that I was my you know my sort of senior thesis project at Cornell, which were these sort of, um, embroidered drawings, not so dissimilar from what I'm making now, um, more abstract. But um, I applied with those, and then and then I got into graduate school. Lucky to get into that fiber program. I still kept making those things, So I still was working on these sort of. Um, uh, abstract, kind of autobiographical embroideries that are a combination of machine stitching and hand embroidery a lot. Um, some of them you can see on my um, website. But um, I was also doing a lot of other things in graduate school. The School of the Art Institute's program, uh, their MFA program is really interdisciplinary, so mm-hmm. I did a lot of writing in graduate, sort of creative writing in graduate school, and some performance work and some bigger sort of installations. But then I finished up grad school and immediately went back to just working in embroidery. Um, so I, you know, I learned a lot from all those experiences, and they they informed the way that I make the embroidery work now, and then and especially sort of the way that I teach and different thinking about different materials and exercises and stuff for the workshops. And I'm so glad I went to graduate school. But the work I made there is not always so reflective of the work I'm making
0: now. What did you do after that?
1: So I did a lot of different things um, when I uh, to sort of keep myself um, afloat. <laughs> so I was at graduation, and I was literally at graduation sitting next to someone who was a painting student a painting mfa student and he had just gotten a job at a community art center and he said hey would you like to teach some workshops at this art center that i'm going to be at and I, like, great <laughs> i was so excited <laughs> i got a job at graduation not a very well-paying job and so i started teaching a couple of i think it was maybe like a screen printing class and embroidery and then and then after uh, maybe a semester or two, I got asked to start a textile program at this art center. So I did, I was doing that while I was in Chicago. And then after, a semester after I graduated, I got invited to come back to the school, the Art Institute, and teach in the fiber department.
0: So I did that. And
1: yeah, I was really uh, lucky to get invited to come back and do that. So I taught the intro to fiber class there for undergraduate students, which was sort of an introduction to everything the department offered. Mm -hmm. So printing and dyeing and something Oh, how fun.
0: And embroidery. That must have been a blast yeah, a to teach that. Yeah. It was great.
1: And then I also taught um, an embroidery class there. So I did that for about seven years doing both of those things. And then at one point I was also teaching at Columbia College, some similar classes. And um, I, you know, I had a job at a frame shop. I was doing a lot of things to kind of piece piece it together um, right. and somehow still have time to make my own artwork
0: was that hard that has to that had to be really hard
1: it was a lot it was a lot to be doing all at once and I felt I often felt really pulled in a lot of directions you know I would think oh man I you know I want to develop a new something new for one thing and then I you know it's always having to stop and work on my other jobs so it was a lot to be doing um all
0: at once how long did you do that
1: I was there. Started teaching at the Art Institute in 2000. Let's see, probably 2004, and then I taught there until 2011, and then you know, simultaneously, I was, so it was like seven or eight years.
0: Okay, and and had you started your samplers?
1: Uh, yeah. So towards the end of that, I think in 2009 or 2010, I started teaching um, workshops in the summer, traveling to teach workshops in the summer. So. I think the first one I taught was at the textile. I forget what it's called, some kind of textile art association conference that's in Kansas City, and then um, I got invited to teach at Haysback and this um, meetup called Squam. And when I taught at Squam, I got a notice that all the teachers would have a, um, a table. At this end of the session mm-hmm. kind of art fair, yep and and I thought, well, you know, my my artwork is sort of a high price point. I didn't think that that would be that <laughs> right. At a right. Right after the people have gone sale. to the
0: right, people don't probably bring right. hundreds of dollars to go to a craft sale. Yes,
1: right. exactly. So I was teaching. I was teaching a lot of screen printing classes at the time as well. And so I decided to to draw a sampler and print those because I thought, well, I'm teaching an embroidery workshop, maybe some people would like to buy Mm -hmm. a printing embroidery sampler. Just sort of on a whim. So I printed I maybe printed fifty or something and brought them to the sale and they sold out and 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 was very lucky that a lot of influential bloggers happened to be at Squam and buy Mm -hmm. the samplers.
0: Yeah. And
1: so they that I think that was in at the beginning of June and then the following July, you know, a few weeks later I was in, I was up in cut I remember my, my partner who's now my wife, she started, she just had it. Had a new iPhone and she started getting, I started getting all these emails that I was checking on her iPhone. That <laughs> these Strangers saying, I really want to buy one of those samplers that I saw on phone blog. How can I, how can I get one? And I thought, I mean, tons and tons of emails. So I started a little Etsy shop on my mom and dad's old computer <laughs> or maybe I the line. I think they had a computer that I used then. And then when I, by the time I got back to Chicago after that little vacation, I had a lot of orders. And then it's kind of grown from there. So, oh, so,
0: so you, didn't, you, you started the shop before you printed the next batch just to kind of pacify people while you were out of town?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah that's well, great. I had to go back to Chicago
0: and print a lot more. Yeah, well, no, that's it no, that was great. It was well. The thing is, if you would have not done anything at that point, people would lose interest. So you had to do. You had to act fast. So that was June, right. June and July of um, was that 2010? You think? I think it
1: was yeah, because I moved to New York on January 3rd of 2011. So that must have been just like this June of 2010, really, really right before I moved to New York. Okay. The summer before I moved. So yeah. January
0: of 2011 is when you moved to New York. Okay. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. so, so the, um, so 2010, this magical summer of 2010 yeah. when um, Squam uh, just really, you know, kicked off a whole, because uh, you were there, you were there to teach embroidery. Is that? Are... Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that is something else. And that really shows how sometimes just what you do is like, okay, I'm just going to do this quick thing. What a great way for you to kick off the sampler. And um, since we have last Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I think it's really great. And that has turned into, it looks like, um, from looking at your Etsy shop, it looks like that has kind of exploded for you, the, the sampler.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been great. You know, I moved to New York a little bit less than a year later. Um, I quit teaching at the Art Institute to move here when... My, my partner, Katie, got a job in New York, so we moved out here together. And, that, and then that's really become um, the thing that I do to, to make – that's my job. So in addition to teaching and making my artwork uh, and then writing a book, um, you know, those, they're all related. Um, but mm-hmm. Those are the things that I do. But the, yeah. the, the sampler business has really been great.
0: And, and what does Katie do? What kind of job does she get when she moved out to New York?
1: She work sort of on the people side of the HR department for a, a tech company.
0: She has a kind of job that she needs to be in a particular place to do that, as opposed to where you can um, – the city you're in does not matter as much to you as long as you have access to Thread – Good needles and yeah. some screen printing supplies when when the mood strikes, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. And the Internet. Yeah, the Internet, yeah, the internet is everywhere. key. The Internet, definitely. So mm-hmm. for you, that was an opportunity to, you know, kind of, um, you know, go move to a pretty exciting place. So you guys are in Brooklyn, correct?
1: Yeah, we live in Brooklyn. And um, my studio is... Um, you know, I used to have a studio in our apartment and then the business kind of outgrew that and so now my studio is about a mile from where we live. So I, I'm very lucky that I walk to work.
0: That's awesome. And
1: mm-hmm. do you share
0: your studio space or do you have your own space? Um I always describe it as kind of a big cubicle.
1: So it's a it's in a building with lots of studios and um and I have um my own space um, but it's sort of open on the end and I have some there are other people that are in this big group space, but I have really high walls. It's like a giant cubicle with 12-foot walls instead of 5-foot walls.
0: Well, yeah, and you're not isolated then. I mean, you can talk right. about, if you need to work on something, you have your space to retreat to, but if you want to get an opinion or just chat exactly. for a second, you can do that. And that, so that must be like the best of, of both worlds. Yeah. And then you don't have a giant mess in your house. If you're working someplace else, you can be like, you know, exactly. not I to say that you're messy. I'm not calling you messy. I'm messy. That's why oh, I say that. <laughs> Jennifer.
1: I'm so messy. I, it's, it's nuts. And it's but so, learned you know, way. my relationship is better now that my studio is not at home. Yeah. I have my great grandmother's writing desk that has some embroidery things in it with it's like a pulled down desk. So when I, I, I often come home, you know, around four and work on some hand embroidery at the end of the day before I call it quits. And then when I'm done, I just fold up the desk and the mess goes with it.
0: So that was an exciting move for you. And how was that? I mean, because you, you have to get to that point where you take on rent outside your house. I mean, was that nerve wracking for you or were you ready to do that?
1: Um it was a little bit nerve-wracking for me to take on more rent especially in Brooklyn but you know I was lucky to find a place that's pretty affordable by by Brooklyn standards and and <laughs> and I and I work harder to be able to afford to work there it's all kind of worked out and I you know things um my mental health has definitely improved since going there and um so it's you know I I want to work more and anyway yeah, and my and one of my studio mates and I often talk about that, about the fact that because we're there, you sort of you know, you you wanna you work to afford the kind of space that you wanna have.
0: Right. Well it does elevate everything. And also when you yeah. tell people, Oh, I'm going to my studio and they find out that's your basement it is way less impressive than if you actually are walking out of your living space down the block to a studio, <laughs> you know, yeah. not to disparage anybody who works in the yeah. basement, because I work in my basement, right. but, but it yeah, just, it I elevates everything. Yeah. I think it gives you more confidence too. And this is all mm-hmm. probably purely psychological, you know, when you're telling people like, oh yeah, I'm heading yes. to my studio and they see that you're not wearing slippers and, um, you know, <laughs> you're, you're actually leaving. The <laughs> Which space. I am now. Not, <laughs> I,
1: am but, um, <laughs> I am too.
0: I am too. But this is very serious. Yeah. This is very serious. And I really like the
1: sort of <laughs> airlock of space too that, you know, it takes me about 20 minutes to walk to the studio and I, I usually listen to podcasts and um, listen your podcasts and um, it's nice to just have that downtime and at the end of the day too, especially if it's been a stressful day, it's nice yeah. to have time to walk home and kind of clear my head before I make dinner or whatever I'm going to do after work.
0: Have you become a city, a big city girl or are you still a Midwestern girl at heart?
1: I mean, I think I am still a Midwestern girl at heart. Part of me really loves living in the city and I love, you know, I love, Um, having access to the garment district in New York is incredible where there are, you know, stores dedicated just to ribbon or just to thread or just to spandex. Not that I use spandex, but it's a fascinating (laughs) experience to go to these spandex stores. I find Um, spandex to be
0: rather unforgiving. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so, I
1: mean, that's incredible and incredible restaurants and things like that. But, um, you know, I find being from such a small town, uh, especially, a town, the town that I grew up in was right on Lake Michigan. And so I spent a lot of time there when I was a kid just sitting on the beach looking out at the water. And, you know, New York is so crowded mm-hmm. and um, congested and loud. And I really miss solitude and quietness and space. Yeah, I don't think it's it's definitely not my long-term home. But um, but we're, you know, just trying to make the most of it while I'm here.
0: How has mm-hmm. this experience of your location Affected the work that you're creating?
1: That's a good question. I think that my artwork, separate from the samplers, has gotten more dense and colorful since I moved to New York, for sure.
0: One of the things that's most striking about your samplers is that they seem to have this really kind of freeform, modern feel. They seem to be very welcoming to people who kind of want to fill up that space and not be feeling like they should really be following directions to a T, and it just right. seems like you're really you really are enticing people to kind of color outside the lines a bit if, if I can use that analogy yes. and yes. can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that and then that segue into your your fine art as well
1: yeah well I think that you know when I teach workshops I often describe I would say I always describe embroidery as being I think of it as a way of drawing and making a mark on fabric and so just as there's a lot of different. There are a lot of different ways to draw, and you could draw with, you know, a really precise mechanical pencil or a fat piece of kind of messy charcoal. There are a lot of different ways to embroider, and a lot of different things to embroider with. You know, from a really thin um, sewing thread to a really thick uh, knitting yarn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, you know, I the sampler, particularly the original sampler, introduces traditional embroidery stitches. But encourages people to sort of um you know learn those, and then if you go on and sort of make them their own so sort of careful voc- cap develop their own kind of vocabulary of mark making and mm-hmm. and some of the other samplers um don't come with printed stitch suggestions, and they're sort of open for anyone's interpretation so for example, the color burst samplers um you know they're they're made with lines and you could cover those lines in a lot of different ways and one of the things that's the most fun for me is looking on Instagram at the drop cloth sampler's hashtag and seeing how you know someone did it with all running stitches but another person's doing it with all bullion stitches and someone else is completely you know it's printed in red but they're completely covering it in green embroidery because that's their favorite color and so it's really fun for me to see the sort of plethora of different ways that people approach the same piece of cloth. And I think that's really exciting. The color samplers have been great. They're really a lot of fun for me to design because mm-hmm. um, they're sort of freeform and um, really colorful in the same way that my artwork is. So my artwork, like the drop cloth samplers, is all based on embroidery. And I often describe my artwork as being sort of an abstract autobiography and They're also such drawings, so they're made on fabric that's often embroidered to begin with. So I'm a big collector of found embroidery, things like pillowcases and doilies and clothes from the thrift store that has a bit of embroidery on them that are kind of cut up and collaged together. And then drawings and text are collaged over the top using hand embroidery and my sewing machine for back and forth to build up these really thick textural artworks that hang on the wall like a painting.
0: And what kind of sewing machine are you using?
1: My first sewing machine was a Viking that was made in the 60s and was made to sew through something as thick as leather. It's just a regular home sewing machine, but it's really
0: heavy duty. And that was fit from and the, and the 50s I, or the 60s? which
1: I think it was made in the 60s, 60s yeah. 60s, okay. And it was a great uh, all-mechanical machine. And I actually had one machine that I sewed with and another machine that I stripped for parts over the years because I just drove that machine into the ground. <laughs> um, but last year um, in May, I was excited to start a partnership with um, Bernina. So now I have this amazing Bernina, and I feel so fortunate to have it. And I've completely fallen in love with Bernina. <laughs> and I, yeah, I know. I mean, I'm. Uh, it's not just because. I'm a Bernina ambassador, but that machine is incredible, and it'll sew through anything, and it sews really incredibly, and it's really opened up this kind of new possibility of, for my artwork, which I can be I can be a lot more detailed and It's so cool. I'm really loving it.
0: They've they've made these things pretty easy to operate, and you don't have to repair them using a. a you don't have a, two Berninas, one for parts and one for. Sewing, you know, (laughs) you just that's right. Yeah, that old machine was
1: old that you know, I had to have that parts machine because the parts just weren't available anymore. So, this one's the B750QE. So, B is in boy,
0: B is in boy, boy. Mm -hmm. and then what's the number again? 750750. Okay, and then
1: after that is QE, which stands for Quilter's Edition, which means that it's huge and it has a really big throat so the distance from the needle to the side of the machine where the motor is is much longer than it is on a normal machine so you can fit bigger
0: pieces in without jamming them in there
1: exactly and it has a, a, a digital free motion foot which is responsive to how fast you're moving your fabric it's incredible yeah
0: so does it have the stitch regulator
1: Yes, that's okay.
0: what it's called. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just bought I a Juki, yeah. and I don't. I do not have. I bought a workhorse, like no computer. It's just a stripped down, you know, just basically workhorse powerful machine. And I don't have a. I don't have the stitch regulator, and that is one of those things where I just I just made a quilt, and um, I was just kind of going full blast. And I can definitely see where having that stitch regulator is definitely a, a plus uh, for, incredible. for sewing. Yeah, And well, for
1: as fast as I sew and for as many layers as I sew through, I never see the bobbin thread. I mean, I could be sewing white with white on top and like a fluorescent green on the bottom. The green never shows through. Wow, and, I that's mean, the, really good. The yeah. Is- Perfect. I can adjust the speed. The bobbin is about twice as big as a regular bobbin, so you can sew forever without having to change the bobbin. It's incredible.
0: So, were they? Did they recruit you? Did they see your work, the Vernina folks, and think we got to get her on our team? Or how does that? How does that even work? How did you become an ambassador?
1: Well, it was sort of a word of mouth. Through I, I met um, another Michigan person, Sue Nichols. I met her through our mutual affiliation with Creative Bug. And I was talking to her about the Bernina. She has been a Bernina investor for a long time, of course. And um anyway, it's just sort of grew from there.
0: Yeah. So. Well good for you. I mean, got you a mm-hmm. really nice machine. Have you made a lot of pieces with the Bernina?
1: I have, yeah. And many of them have most I would say all of them have not been photographed except for sad little Instagram pictures. So I'm I'm looking forward to hiring a photographer this spring to photograph them so I can have a massive update on my um,
0: website you have this book that's coming out and that is really quite a compliment when the publisher decides to put your name into the title which is pretty fantastic yeah this isn't thank just you a, that was not my yeah, idea that no was the, well, no i'm know, not a... i'm not trying to get you to confess <laughs> to being an egomaniac or anything like that no, really <laughs> what I, no but what i'm saying that's a high compliment because this book is called rebecca ringquest embroidery workshop so this is a publisher saying, Look, we're gonna give you folks what you want. We're giving you Rebecca's workshops right here in this book and that really is something else. And so how did how did this book come to be?
1: I think it was about a year after I moved to New York, I got a call from Melanie Fallett, who is the editor of this book, Incredible. And she I found out about my work through Creative Bug, where I teach online workshops and um and we sort of started a conversation. And I, at the time I wasn't, I hadn't, writing a book wasn't really on my radar. I wasn't thinking a lot about it. I was still sort of acclimating to living in New York and, Mm -hmm. um, adjusting to a really different life. And, um, but we kept talking and, you know, I'm really grateful for her for, for believing in my work and seeing something in it and, um, she was really interested in the in the workshops that I teach around the country, and wanted to you know, sort of find a way to um, turn that into a book format to be available to a much wider audience.
0: Well, and I was too. Yeah, and it's turned out so beautifully. And, and again, I don't have the actual hard copy in front of me. I have the uh, a PDF version that I'm looking at on my iPad. And it, what I love about it is that it's kind of like a A private workshop, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Because I feel like you're really kind of coaching people along, uh, you know, everything from supply recommendations, uh, talking about the difference. You're educating people about the difference in, you know, the uh, threads and needles and what's appropriate for each, you know, thing you're trying to accomplish. Um, And just Mm kind of, and then you kind of work from there where if people have their own supplies and they've been doing embroidery for a while, I still recommend reading all this stuff because they're going to pick up. I love reading what artists have to say about particular tools that they use. and um, Me too. It's so fun. And then you learn – you have a little mm-hmm. little snippets from your own life sprinkled throughout um, each section. And I love the fact that you really you know, don't stress people out because a lot of times people will just – when they start to embroider, they're immediately worried about a, a million things because they're like, well, yes. I got to – Should I use a knot or not use a knot? I know for me, I I put a knot in the back because I'm like, you know what? I don't want to hold the thread in place. I don't want to be holding it and trying to wrap the stitches around because I'm not worried about what's going on in the back. I want to see something cool happen on the front and I don't stress about it. And I've had, you know, people, um, you know, some older embroiderers say, oh, wow, you know, that doesn't look very clean on the back. And, and I said, well, I appreciate that yours can be flipped either way. And it looks fantastic. But that's not what I'm trying to do here. And I've never gotten into an argument over this with anybody. But it's interesting to me, though, how some people really believe that there is a set, um, you know, it's very set rules about uh, any of these art and craft forms, mm-hmm. and that th- and it paralyzes some people because they're unable to begin. I
1: think especially with embroidery, too. I think, you know, embroidery, when most people, when a lot of people, I'll say, think of embroidery, they the first thing that I think a lot of people think of is an embroidered sampler. And mm-hmm. those embroidered you know, schoolgirl samplers were meant to be um, perfect. Yes, and it's and, like the alphabet um, and everything
0: is pristine. Yes, and yeah, you get graded and
1: on it on the front and on the back and the stitches should all be the same length and there shouldn't be any knots. And even though, you know, not very many people make those, Anymore, that that history is still really ingrained in people's minds. Well, and that might be so, why they don't
0: make them anymore right? because they thought there were too many rules. Yeah, they thought, I mean, there really geez, yeah, there's just too many rules here. Yeah, and I wouldn't so want to do that. If your sampler came with like a you know a scroll yeah. of a thousand rules that I had to follow, I'd be like, this is some nonsense. I'm not doing this. You know, so, no, so forget
1: it. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I I think that's what really appeals to me about the approach you're taking is you're saying hey this is what works for me but you might find yeah. that something slightly different works for you and that's okay and yeah. that is a All real that gift that you're giving people mm-hmm. in the book the format if you want to describe a little bit for the folks who don't have it in front of them yet what it, what what was your approach to this book and what were you trying what were you trying to accomplish
1: Well, um, I was trying to introduce people to the idea of embroidery as sort of a way of drawing and encourage people to sort of loosen up and try to disregard their um, idea of embroidery as a really uptight, precise sort of art form. Right. And um, introduce the idea that embroidery is something that is easy and accessible. And, you know, everyone has fabric in their homes, whether or not they think of it that way, almost everyone has a bag of clothes that are waiting to go to Goodwill that Mm -hmm. can be cut into pieces and stitched into. The book really starts out the way that a lot of my workshops start out. So introducing the idea of embroidery as as a sort of fun way of drawing. And then it's divided into four main chapters, which are stitch, trace, draw, and layer. So at the beginning of each chapter, there are... sort of like in a workshop where I would do a demo at the beginning of a class and then maybe give an assignment for what, what we could do with that um, technique. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the beginning of each chapter, there are, are technique ex, uh, explanations of different techniques um, and then projects that use those techniques.
0: And how often does the bag of clothes for Goodwill get to Goodwill from your apartment or do you take it to your studio instead?
1: Oh, it's such a pain in New York to go to Goodwill.
0: I'm <laughs> so sorry. Have to. We don't go very often. We try to save
1: it all up and um, take a cab a few times a year. Um, but, uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, I don't, I'm not really big on shopping. I don't, I don't really have a lot of clothes. I don't really love buying a lot of clothes. So I don't tend to have a ton of stuff that goes to Goodwill. But um, when I lived in Chicago, I spent a lot of time at the thrift store looking for embroidered things. So when I moved to New York, I moved here with boxes and boxes and boxes of embroidered things. Okay, Um,
0: so you'd already had a collection.
1: I had a huge collection, which I haven't really added very much to since I've been here because I have so much. And moving to one thing about New York is it really makes you realize, the value of space versus stuff. So yes. I've actually gotten rid of a lot of things um, since I moved here, just to have a little more breathing room. Every time I buy something, I think, do I want to store that, or do I not want? To- if I don't want to store it, then I don't want to buy it.
0: And as you mentioned in your book, once you announce to the world that you're into embroidery, people will show up with embroidery supplies they're not using, or they might see something at a garage sale and they're like, oh. Rebecca would love this. <laughs> yeah,
1: I've gotten so many really, you know, loving packages in the mail from so-and-so. You know, a friend of mine from college, her aunt died and her aunt loved to embroider. And I got this huge box of embroidery supplies with, you know, odds and ends of buttons and seam records and things like that. So I've gotten a lot of care packages, unannounced care packages like that over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but also embroidery, you know, even if you don't get a care package, if you go to a yard sale, you can often find, you know, a lot of these materials very inexpensively.
0: Well, and some of these materials, I know the ph- photography in your book is, is, very, is really lovely. Um, and I, I, one of the things I Thanks. like about um, seeing all these, like, it looks like just little snippets of things from your stash. Did you just pull things out? that um
1: yeah, I, we shot the book at the studio so um johnny miller was a photographer and he's incredible i felt so fortunate to work with him and then um the stylist um Shannon faust was also incredible and um it was really fun to have them there in the studio sort of looking through my things and you know i had a lot of things that i had pulled out on my own but there were things that they saw that i wouldn't have necessarily thought of which is really fun and and i you know things like um, postcards and photographs that are sort of in the background. Of, yeah, of the, the
0: the, I noticed. Do you do you store your embroidery floss on sewing bobbins? I use a lot more um,
1: pearl cotton, that size eight pearl cotton, than embroidery floss. Right. And one of the reasons is because embroidery floss is just such a pain to use. I mean, whoever invented embroidery floss and said it should be six strands that always get separated into two or three strands. What a ridiculous (laughs) idea. It's it's just waste so much time. I hate that. I they should just um, sell it in two or three strands. Yes. And there are a few companies that do, of course it costs a lot more. Right. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so I do have a lot of embroidery floss and some of it is wound onto those little cards. To be honest, it kind of drives me crazy to have to take the time to do that. So um, oftentimes, a lot of times my mom, my mom likes doing things like that. And when she visits, especially when I moved to New York, she helped me organize all my threads before I moved. So I arrived here with a really organized situation. And since then, it's all fallen apart. But um, <laughs> I keep Sounds all my like clothes in boxes. Yeah, yeah. Like I have a box of just red pearl cottons, a box of just oranges, a box of just pinks, and and if I you know all the pink threads are are in there, so pearl cotton or embroidery floss or whatever, I have more just keep it organized in clear boxes by color,
0: so you can see what color you need and what you want to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, and Now, does your mom do some of the stitching on your samplers to help you get your samplers ready to photograph?
1: Yes, my mom is amazing, and while I was writing the book. Um, one of the stitch subscriptions came out sort of in the middle of that. So the stitch of the month samplers, um, my mom stitched all of those. So all the photographs that you see of those um, on my blog and on the, in the shop, those are all stitched by my mom. And she's stitched, I think all of the samplers. So some of the, some of them are stitched by her, you know, the summer line sampler in all the photographs. those so that's my mom's sampler. Yeah. I'm very lucky. My mom is amazing and she is, she, she works for for nothing, and I'm really grateful for her.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, no, she does beautiful yeah. stitching too. I mean, they look great. Yeah. so that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And she had no idea that when she stitched uh, your initials on your sleeve, that um, <laughs> she was, she, yeah. was, she, was really so more, she was going to be doing so much more. She was going to be doing so much more stitching down the road. Now, are, is that's your sorry. mom still in Pentwater?
1: Yeah, my mom
0: and dad still live there. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, so they're still by the lake. So you—that—that must be really fun to have a, to be able to go back to your hometown and get away from it all and kind of relax, recharge your batteries. Maybe have your mom help you organize some some thread. <laughs> <And> then, uh,
1: <laughs> well, see does that when she comes here sometimes. Yeah, it's too much to bring back, but.
0: I get the sense from looking at just be, watching your work and watching that progression over time um, online, just seeing the things you're producing, and then reading this book, it comes across as being such a a true picture of who Rebecca is. And I know that I'm putting you in a very awkward position where you're not going to say, "No, actually, I hate the book." <laughs> um, no, you know, I actually but, love the book. Yeah. I feel
1: so lucky. You know, I talked to a few other um, publishers before I decided to write this book, and and it just never felt like it was going to be. Right, and right. um, and I when I talked to Melanie and you know looking at a lot of her books, I, it really seemed like it was the right opportunity. And I feel I feel really lucky that it it does feel authentic. And I had a lot of um, freedom. And I feel like she managed to somehow um help me to create a book that's the most sort of the most authentic that it could be, and and shine a light in a way that that I don't even think that I would have been able to do on my own. Um, had I, you know, maybe self published or something, I don't know, that sounds like a lot of work, but, um, yeah, anyway, she's, Melanie's incredible, and I'm really grateful to have been able to work with her on this, on this book. And one thing I wanted to say about sort of, um, the book and the idea of sort of encouraging people to kind of jump in and talk away all the rules is that. Sometimes I think that can feel overwhelming, especially to someone who likes to follow the rules right, and,
0: right. Um,
1: you know, to say, like, oh, just forget it. Just jump in. Be creative. Um, so I think the book um, it sort of walks a fine line between, you know, um, telling people, you know, this is what you have to do step by step. Right. It does offer step by step suggestions and um, opportunities for sort of loosening up exercises that that tend to loosen people up in workshops. I present those in the, in the book but does it in a way that doesn't make, that's not so scary. So, you know, it's not all at once, but step-by-step step, um, instruction.
0: Yeah. And also to clarify, I mean, there are step-by-step step all the way through. So I was definitely not trying yeah. to give people the impression that it's just completely free form. What is your favorite fabric to stitch on? Cotton, but I
1: especially love stitching on fabric that already had something on it. And mm-hmm. I, and that's why I love stitching on fabrics that are already embroidered like the edge of a pillowcase or something like that. It, give you something to respond to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why people like stitching on the sampler because, you know, there's something to kind of get them started. There's, you know, there's a kind of instruction or suggestion. So it really uh, gives people a little, a little bit of guidance, in some cases a little more where the where the where um, the stitch is printed right next to that stitch. Like the sampler in the book comes with nine stitches printed on it. So when you're done stitching it, you have a sort of a guide that you can look back on. Sort of, you know, you can say, "Oh, that's that's what the running stitch looks like." I think I want to use that for the project, or no, I think I want to use couching or um, mm-hmm. um, French knots or something. So it's sort of uh, a chart and a and a and a piece of artwork in one. Um, yeah. So I like and I love printing. I love stitching on printed fabrics. Um, there are a few projects in the book that use printed fabrics or responding to the prints that are already on the fabric and adding another layer of texture and color over the top.
0: Well, I think there's going to be plenty to keep people busy. And especially with that little I think gift, too. the little gift in the back of the, the free sampler that comes with this is kind of a bonus, which is really lovely. So people can get started. And then, of course, if they want to get, you're still doing your sampler of the month as, is that correct? Are you still doing? Yeah, that? there's
1: this. There's two different subscriptions now: the sampler, of the month subscription, which um, introduces a new stitch each month and variations on that stitch, and then there's also the colorburst um, sampler subscription, which are um, you get a new one every month and they're uh, colorful, sort of abstract designs to embroider.
0: Well, so there's so much people can get involved in, and it's really fun too because, to, as you had mentioned earlier, there are people that go on Instagram and they're using hashtags to identify like so they can post their work and you get to see everybody else's sampler so um and the the samplers look so different each person brings so much they pick different colors they pick different stitches sometimes the ones that are kind of more open-ended and so that's really great to see so you've you've really created Mm -hmm. such a you've done a lot to bring back embroidery and uh and update it and i think that's really fantastic and uh, i'm excited to see how The craft community responds to the book because I think people are really going to love this because there's nothing else out there on the market like this. There's no I've never seen another book like your book, and that is the mark of a fabulous book when you're contributing something that hasn't – it's not repetitive or, you know, it's just – it's Rebecca, and people can have the (laughs) workshop right in their own home uh, and then hop on Creative Bug for more. (laughs) I know that your first book is – just making its way um you know it's going to be on the bookstore shelves in april and it's available now for pre-order but uh have you thought beyond this book um are you looking to do another type of publication or are you going to kind of get back to doing your artwork for a while and keep your samplers going is there a book too in the works or is this something that you're like i'm going to kind of see how this goes and then maybe decide later
1: yeah, there's not a book two and two in the works right now. It feels really good to be um, having a little bit more time to make my artwork mm-hmm. and to really focus on a business again and t- and teaching. I'm looking forward to some um, some more teaching this summer. So yeah, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I, writing the book was a really it was a really hard thing to do, but it was a great experience. And um, yeah, but nothing nothing looming.
0: Well, we'll give you a chance to just kind of, you know, catch your breath a bit and uh, enjoy the, the, you know, touring around a little bit and talking to people about your work. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, The other thing that I'm wondering is, uh, you know, as we're, you know, as we're uh, kind of signing off here, I don't know if there's anything out there. It doesn't have to be embroidery related, but is there anything that you're finding particularly inspiring now, like to your work? I don't know if it's a particular music that you're listening to or somebody else's work that you've just discovered, or is there anything that, you know, you thought, wow, that's really pretty cool?
1: Oh, well, not new to me, but one of the people that I find most inspiring, who also happens to live in New York, although I certainly don't know her, but um, her work just really, I love it so much. And that is um, Myra Kalman. She's a painter. She makes gouache paintings and, and she's also a writer and she's illustrated several books, both her own books and and some other books. And, and she travels around New York and other places um, sort of observing and making drawings of the things that um, she notices that she loves. And it might be a worn down chair on the side of the street or, you know, a, a beautiful pair of slippers in a, in a historical museum. And I love that her sort of chronicling of the everyday. Mm-hmm. And I try to um, keep that in mind sometimes it can be overwhelming of sort of what to make what to make art about right. and I right. love the way thinking about her work really frees me up I think about well you can make artwork about anything you could make an embroidery of anything and I find that really freeing and inspiring
0: well that's great I'm gonna google her right now and find out who she is and see if I can see some of her work while I'm in New York as well so that's fantastic thank you so much Jennifer. A special thanks to Rebecca for coming on the show and sharing the story behind her book And I hope you were all inspired by the story of how she's been able to create a really creative living for herself. It's really wonderful to see this, and I wish her all the best and continued success. And I can't wait to see what she does next. And I'm looking forward to stitching the sampler in the back of the book. I think that's going to be really a lot of fun. Uh, Once again, I would like to thank my Patreon sponsors and also ACSHomeandwork.com for sponsoring the show. And as I've mentioned before on the show, ACS is my source for tea towels. And I have done a lot of printing on the tea towels. You can also embroider on them. I've had success dyeing the fabric. I just made a quilt where I used the flower sack tea towel fabric to make a quilt. Uh, I did use some other commercially printed fabric as well, but a bulk of the design was made with the tea towels, the flower sack, tea towels and I don't know I'm trying to bring back old quilting traditions perhaps I don't know but I recommend their products and I was a customer first before they became a sponsor of the show I really appreciate just all the Patreon sponsors and ACS for keeping this thing going it's kind of been a a tenuous time because as I've probably talked about way too much on this program I'm no longer a newspaper columnist and I'm trying to just kind of ramp things up For Craft Sanity, I'm also wrapping up the semester at at the community college where I teach, and I'm actually going to be boarding a plane on Tuesday. Uh, I'm talking March 10th, 2015, to head out to New York for a journalism conference, and I'm going to be bringing along seven students. We're going to have a lot of our time will be dedicated to being at this journalism conference, but I'm hoping to sneak off to the Garment District at some point, because I will be within walking distance, and Rebecca has given me some great tips of where I can go. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I want to make sure I am taking full advantage of that insider knowledge. And if you have any suggestions of a person place or something that I need to see while I'm in New York, let me know. I'm, it's going to be a pretty jam packed schedule, but I would love to not miss out on an opportunity to meet interesting people and see interesting things. And uh, what I can do, I'd, I'd love to do some on-site interviews. I'm going to bring my Uh, Some recording equipment, but not all my stuff. But I'm thinking that at the very least, I'd like to meet some people to call later for interviews if I'm not able to do them on site, because after you've met a person and had a conversation, you kind of know each other going into an interview, and it goes a little smoother. So let me know if you're in New York. Send me a message, jennifer at craftsanity.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at Craft Sanity on Instagram. Oh, there's one other exciting development that I want to tell you guys about. I actually got my hands on some Hamilton wood type. It's big. I want to say it's like four inches tall. I've been so busy, I haven't even had a chance to measure it. I've held off on getting a letterpress. I am trying to do as much as I can with my etching press, and I think my plan will work. So I'll keep you posted on that. I'll be posting photos on Instagram so you can follow that. And yeah, I'm kind of going full tilt into this whole exploration of Printing and printing with wood type, and I have some lead type as well. I got two fonts. Yeah, I think there's a there's a story in here somewhere, folks, and I'd like to write it soon. So yeah, so I'm gonna go to New York this week and um, try to sleep, even though I know it's not easy for me to do that when I'm not in my own house with my own family. I'm a complete homebody, so I'm gonna bring probably some paper piecing, probably some knitting, and maybe something else. on my watercolors, my portable watercolor set, and a notebook, and um, I want to bring carving tools, but I know that they'll be confiscated, and I don't want that to happen. So I'm gonna just uh, make do with probably those three things. Yeah, I'm just gonna craft my anxieties away <laughs> while being away from home. But anyway, um, if you pray, say a little prayer for my group that we return safely and that these folks, um, that no one in our group uh, decides to to do anything silly. Uh, we all want to get back in one piece and have a good time, bond with each other and not drive each other crazy. Anyway, I will be back soon with another episode of the podcast. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Oh, don't forget to sign up for the Craft Sanity newsletter. I'm going to be sending one out very soon. And I'd love for you to be on the mailing list. I'm going to include some discounts for my shop. I'm also going to be rolling out some new product when I get home from New York. And uh, there's just so much I want to do and so little time. (laughs) So I'm going to be, I'll get back as soon as I can and I'm going to hit the ground running because I I just have so many ideas and so many things that I want to do when I get home. So yeah, I'll be back soon and um, the goal is to uh, come back with another show next week and it may be something from my travels. It may be something else. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, all right. I'm really going to sign off now. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate
1: $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same time next week will be.